Morning, everyone. And it's great to see all of you. It's the first time we've done this kind of a thing, and uh, I hope that um, you're enjoying it. I hope you have your lyrics pack for a few reasons. Uh, one, as Tim said, uh, as we read through our psalm today, uh, there's going to be kind of a call and response uh, thing, so it's good to see that. Um, also, it's a really good fan, so if you fold it up, you can, you can fan yourself with it. Um, both those things would be good. So let me pray for us, and then uh, we're going to jump into our psalm this morning. Lord God, thank you for this good day. Uh, it's always a good day when we can gather together and, um, and worship together and hear from you through your word. Uh, so Lord, I just pray that this would be a blessing to all those who are gathered. I pray for those who are a regular part of Tri-City Church, church family, those who are visiting maybe for the first time, guests. Lord, we're thankful for everyone who could be here at at this moment uh, because we know you speak through your word and Lord, we need to hear you. And so I pray please that you would give us uh, soft hearts, uh, open ears, and that we might be encouraged and, um, and shaped by your word. So I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I was thinking about this psalm, uh, as I mentioned, there's a part of it. This is Psalm 136 is where we're at. 136, so it should be there, I think, second to last page. Uh, or if you have your Bible, Bible app, you can, you can, you can call it up. Uh, you'll notice that it does have a repeated part of it. There's one line that's repeated over and over again. And it made me think of, um, of this podcast that I listened to called Song Exploder. Has anyone listened to Song Exploder? It's a great podcast. Um, as you might expect, it's about uh, one song every episode, usually sort of a fairly new song, and they just kind of pull the song apart. They talk to the person who wrote it, who, who mastered it. They're trying to figure out, you know, how was this song developed and recorded, and then they listen to the song at the end. It's, it's fascinating. Uh, the one episode I was listening to was by uh, Imagine Dragons, and uh, the lead singer, Dan Reynolds, was speaking about his songwriting process. And what he says, not surprisingly, is he comes up first with the melody. Uh, I was surprised to hear that he says he writes about a song a day, just comes into his mind. A melody, maybe a little bit of lyrics, and some of them he develops more fully. And so this one that he was uh, doing, he said he came up with the melody first, and then he always works on the chorus. He said, once I figure out the chorus, then I know what the song is about. I know the genre. I know, like, is it upbeat, downbeat? What's the theme? Because, of course, the chorus is always the heart of a song. And I was thinking of that because in this psalm, sounds the same psalm, we have kind of a chorus. It's not uh, a few lines that are repeated. It's one line. The end part of every verse is repeated over and over and over again. And if you look at your lyrics page, you'll see that I'm taking this version from the NIV. And the line that's repeated is this. His love endures forever. His love endures forever. The love of God endures forever. This is the thing that is repeated throughout this entire psalm. Now, scholars do think that this actually was probably a, a call and response, that the um, leader of the temple worship would stand up and would read the first part, and then the people of God who were congregated would respond with the second part. And so that's how we're going to read the psalm this morning. We're not going to do it all at once. We'll do it kind of in sections. And um, I thought we'd begin by verses 1 to 3, just to kind of get us warmed up, okay? So even if you don't have the verses in front of you, the line is, His love endures forever. And uh, I will do the first bit, okay? So let's give this a try. Verse 1. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. His love endures Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His love endures Awesome. That was great. So we can see already in this psalm that there are really two main themes. The theme of love, very clear. Uh, but also the goodness of God 
is what this psalm is about. We can see that in the beginning part of every line, talks about in some way that God is good, and then the last part of the verse uh, reminds us again of the love of God. So we're going to look first at the goodness of God and then the love of God. And the goodness of God in this psalm, there's three sections, sort of. God is the good creator, God as the good rescuer, and God as the good victor. So we'll read a section, talk about it, read a section, talk about it. We're going to begin with God as the good creator. So, verses 4 to 9. Don't forget your line. Here we go. To him who alone does great wonders, his love who by his understanding made the heavens, his love endures, who spread out the earth upon the waters, his love endures, who made the great lights, the sun to govern the day, the moon and stars to govern the night. Excellent. So there's a summary here, clearly, of the creative works of God in Genesis. We have, uh, he made the heaven, the earth, water, sun, moon, and stars. All of these things are very good things. I know the sun in particular feels a bit oppressive at this moment, but it is a good thing. Uh, without it, we would, we would have no, no life on this earth. Uh, we, as a human race, I think do a fairly good job of appreciating the natural world. In fact, these days, uh, it even goes beyond that. Uh, human beings uh, inside, outside of the church, I mean, we love the world around us. We study nature, we preserve nature, we protect nature. It's a great thing. But the, notice the focus here is not just on the goodness of nature itself. The idea in this psalm is that we would delight in the goodness of God that is revealed in the natural world. Uh, we see this in the way that this section begins. Uh, verse 4 said, to him who alone does great wonders. So the focus there is on God himself, who is the worker of wonders. And one of those wonders, one of those wonderful things that God has done is to make the earth. Is to make everything in it. It's, it's showing us that the world around us testifies to the goodness of God. And what it's leading us to understand is that there's a big difference between uh, knowing theologically that God made everything and actually delighting in his creation. There's a big difference between knowing a lot about the natural world and actually being caught up into moments of worship as we experience the natural world, as we look around us and think about the wonder of our creator. So I have a uh, little example of the difference between these two kinds of ways of engaging or knowing something. Uh, this example has nothing to do with nature. Uh, it actually comes from a movie. Uh, this movie is called Ford versus Ferrari. Do you know this uh, movie? Uh, it's a movie about uh, a real-life event when the Ford Motor Car Company uh, wanted to defeat Ferrari in this 24-hour race in France called the Le Mans. It was like the most, I guess, important race at the time. This is back in the 1960s. Uh, Henry Ford II had a huge grudge against the owner of Ferrari. And so he said to his people, I don't care what it costs, I want to beat Ferrari at this race. And so they hired Carol Shelby, played by Matt Damon, and they said, build the fastest race car uh, possible. And so that's what he set out to do. And the, that's the whole movie, is them trying to design this thing, build it, race it. And there's a moment in the film when uh, they have a really uh, fast car. It's the Ford GT40. The thing is just crazy fast, this giant uh, motor in it. But the question of a driver is one of the big things in the film. Uh, Henry Ford, uh, some of his people have said, no, we want, uh, I don't know, some other driver. But Carol Shelby, Matt Damon's character, says, no, I want, I want this guy, Ken Miles. 
played by Christian Bale. He's the driver. And they're kind of going back and forth about it. So what, what Matt Damon does, or Kel Shelby, um, he invites Henry Ford II to come to the, where they're developing the car and he coaxes him into this GT40. And he takes him for a ride. Now you have to understand, uh, Henry Ford II, he knows a lot about cars. I mean, just think of, he owns the Ford Motor Car Company. He knows how they're built. He knows all the components in them. His, his father invented the Model T Ford. So he, he knows a lot about cars, but he has not experienced a car in this way. And so when Matt Damon, when he hits the gas on this Ford GT40, and the thing just takes off, the speed, the acceleration, I mean, hundreds of miles an hour, taking these hairpin corners, by the time he stops the car, Henry Ford, this old man, he starts to weep. He's just, he's, he's weeping in, in the car seat and Matt Damon's character is kind of uncomfortable and Henry Ford just keeps saying, I had no idea. I had no idea. What he means is he had, he knew about this car, but he had no idea what it was like to experience it, to be overwhelmed by the speed and the power and it moves him emotionally. That is what we should expect or what we should seek out when we engage in the world around us. When we actually realize that everything, the complexity, the beauty, the wonder of nature has been all orchestrated by our creator, we should be overwhelmed in praise and worship. I mean, just think about where we are. We're, we're outside on this planet that is just the perfect distance from the sun so that we don't freeze all the time and we don't roast all the time. We're rotating at the exact perfect speed so we don't fly off into the cosmos, but there's still, you know, seasons and stuff like that. Everything that you look at, we have opportunity to glorify God, to praise him for his goodness. Every, every aardvark, every anthill, every DNA strand, every microorganism speaks, testifies to the true wonder maker, our God. We have every reason we walk around. Now hear me, not to idolize nature. That's the mistake the world makes. That they look at the complexity of it and they just think, man, I just need to get out in nature. I just need to get alone on a kayak and all will be well with my soul. That's not enough. What we need is to see that all of this testifies to a creator, a supernatural, wonder-making God who loves his people, who has created a world in, in which we can live and experience his goodness and grace. So the first part of the psalm, it reminds us of the goodness of our creator. The second part is about our good rescuer. And we're going to read again. So get ready. Starting in verse 10. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, his love endures forever. And brought Israel out from among them, his love with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. To him who divided the Red Sea asunder and brought Israel through the midst of it, but swept Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea to him who led his people through the wilderness. Amen. Now here, obviously, we're reminded of God as our rescuer. And we're, we're reminded of the rescue event in the Old Testament when God rescued his people out of slavery in Egypt. Uh, this is the event that's repeated throughout the Old Testament, not just because it's, it's supernatural, not just because it's dramatic, but because it emphasizes the true nature of human beings and of God. Those two things are so clearly demonstrated in the Exodus story. Uh, we, we see clearly that human beings are in need of rescue. That, that's part of our nature, that we are in peril and that God is the great rescuer. 
We see this replayed in a grand scale throughout, throughout the Bible. The bigger narrative is a rescue story. The Exodus story is sort of small scale, even though, I mean, the, the Red Sea parts and there's plagues, it's very dramatic, but the bigger scale version of it is actually the cross of Jesus where we learn very clearly throughout the testimony of scripture. We're told, look, sin is something that human beings are enslaved to and that we were rescued by the work of Jesus on the cross. Just like the Hebrews in Egypt were rescued, we also were rescued. Jesus gave of himself, sacrificed himself, endured death and torture and all the condemnation of sin so that we would be free. He once again is revealing the nature of God, that we are in need of rescue and that God rescues us. That on our own we are in peril, we are in danger, and yet God is the gracious, loving God who does good for us. In fact, here's 2 Timothy, uh, verses, uh, verse 18 of chapter 4. It says this, The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So remembering God as a rescuer does remind us of his goodness. But it also reminds us about his continued goodness in our life. See, the tendency of human beings is to forget that we need to be rescued. In fact, we see this with the Israelites. Remember the Israelites? I mean, they were, if anyone had a very clear example of their need for rescue, it was them. I mean, in slavery, under the whip, under the oppressive you know, hand of Egypt, and then, I mean, plagues, frogs, all sorts of amazing, powerful things demonstrating that their God loves them, is working for them. The Red Sea is parted. They get on the road towards the promised land. And if you know the story, you know that it does not take very long for them to start complaining. They don't just complain. They start to say, you know, it was better for us to be back in Egypt. Just think about that for a moment. What would it take? What's going on in your mind and your heart for them to think it would be better for us to be back in slavery? Well, they must not be remembering things clearly. And in fact, they weren't. The things they bring up are things like meat. It's all food. Meat, melon, like things that they're hungry for. And they don't see it in front of them immediately. And they say to Moses, look, it was better back then. They forget, of course, the whips. They forget the hard work. They forget the oppression. See, the book of Psalms seems to know that as human beings, we forget these kinds of things. I mean, even here today, if you're someone who's a Christian, that means that you have been rescued from your sin. But you also know, I think, that we're always tempted to go back into sinful patterns in our lives. Even if we were at rock bottom, even if we were saved miraculously, I mean, we just know that God, God picked us up, God, God breathed new life into us, there are still times when because, I don't know, because life's difficult, because we can't see the hand of God, because there are trials, whatever it is, we start to think about those old patterns of life. We start to wonder if it wouldn't be better. I mean, if we really need comfort, if we really need security, those, those other things, whatever they are, maybe it's, maybe it's substance abuse, maybe it's just sinful patterns of, of mind or heart or behavior, whatever it is, we get, we get sucked back into them because we forget. We forget the oppressiveness of it. We forget the fact that we never actually had lasting peace when we were engaged in that kind of thing. We forget the reality of being in slavery to sin. The beauty of this psalm and of the Bible itself is that it, it works hard so that we won't forget. It remind us, reminds us of the, our nature. We need to be rescued and we have a rescuer 
We have a God who loves us. Because if we forget that, then we're, we're sitting ducks. We're just waiting for the, the right circumstances to happen in our lives so that we slip back into slavery and sin and we need to be rescued again. So this psalm is testifying to the goodness of God. Look at what he did for the Israelites. Amazing. Look at how it foreshadows the cross. Amazing. Amazing love. Amazing goodness. Amazing grace. But it's also meant as a, as kind of a, almost like a retaining wall, holding back all of the, the fickleness of our heart that's going to lead us back to those things which will never satisfy us, lead us back into sin. God is the great rescuer. We should not take him for granted. Today, if you're feeling those temptations, remind yourself of what is actually true. Remind yourself of the reality of being in sin, the slavery that is part of it, the darkness that is part of it, the hopelessness. And praise God for the fact that you have been drawn out of there into the light. God is the good creator. God is the good rescuer. Last one. God is the good victor. We're going to read again, starting in verse 17. To him who struck down great kings, his love endures forever, and killed mighty kings, his love endures forever. Sion, king of the Amorites, his love and Og, king of Bashan, his love and gave their land as inheritance, an inheritance to his servant Israel. And we're going to pause there because those, those lines really speak about the victories that God gave his people in battle. The two kings that are mentioned specifically are King Sihon and King Og. Uh, Sihon was a very powerful king, a man of valor. He was known for his boldness in battle. Og, uh, Og was actually apparently from the race of the giants. So he would have been like Goliath. So both of these kings were very mighty, powerful kings. Both of them opposed King David and the Israelites and what we saw last week, if you're with us, in Psalm 47, is that God gave victory to his people in the time when they took the promised land. That's what we're talking about here again. That even though there were more powerful armies, more numbers, stronger, better weapons, fortified cities, whatever it was, God is the one who gave them victory by moving powerfully, by, by defeating them in a powerful way. This is what we're seeing here again. But if you remember last week, we learned that those victories that God gave were just a foreshadow. I mean, they were amazing if you were there at the time, but again, they were just foreshadowing the cross. The cross where Jesus defeated even greater enemies on our behalf. Enemies like Satan. Enemies like sin. Enemies like death itself. That is what the Old Testament is ultimately pointing us forward to. That our God is a victor of even greater things, even greater battles that needed to be fought and that we could never win them. The thing I want to do right now, though, for a moment is ask this question, this practical question. What good is there for us in knowing that God has brought victory for us over those things? Because you may say, if you're, if you're a Christian, you may say, look, I, I get it, I'm excited <laughs> That death, you know, I won't stay dead. I'll have life forever. Jesus beat death for me and that my sin can't condemn me forever. I don't have hell to look forward to, but rather heaven. I mean, praise God for that. And I know from what it says in the Bible that Satan, even though he's trying to mess with me all the time, he won't actually have victory over me. But like practically speaking right now today, how does that, how does that help me? Because a lot of that is future stuff. And so here's one of the ways one of the main ways that knowing that God is the victor brings help into our lives, it helps us to deal with our fear. 
Fear is something that we know we all struggle with. Some more than others, but look, there are so many reasons for us to be fearful in this world. There are so many things around us that are more powerful than us. So many things that are outside of our control. So many times when we feel insecure, when we feel like we're just not sure which way to go and what will happen, there are things that we can see that are obvious threats and other things we don't even, not even expecting. I mean, there's a lot of reasons for human beings to be fearful. But I want you to see what God says to his people back in the moments where they were about to fight the, the army of Og. And you can imagine there, I mean, they really had reason to fear. This was a giant leading an army better equipped, more people than them. But look at what God says. I want you to, I want you to notice uh, what God says about why they shouldn't be fearful. So here's God speaking to Moses. This is in Numbers 21, verses 34 and 35. I think it's on your, on your uh, lyrics page there. He says this, But the Lord said to Moses, Do not fear him. So don't fear Og. For I have given him into your hand and all his people and his land and you shall do to him as you did to Sihon king of the Amorites who lived at Heshbon. So they defeated him and his sons and all his people until he had no survivor left. Do you see what God says? God says, look, don't fear him. Why? Not, not because of anything to do with Moses or the Israelites or them. He, didn't, he doesn't talk about them at all. What he says is remember the victory I already gave you. Remember the battle of Sihon. You were outnumbered then. You were fearful then. What happened? I gave you victory. Don't doubt the fact that I am the same God now as I was back then. D don't forget the victories that I've given you in the past because they testify to my goodness and my power and my love for you. It's the same principle for us today. That as we look back and see all the ways that God has brought us victory, not just in the Old Testament, but in our lives, we can be assured that in the future, he will do the same. So listen, think about the things that, that make you scared and make you afraid. Think about the things that you can't control, that you're gen genuinely fearful of, that you worry about, and remind yourself of this fact. Jesus has defeated death itself for you. Jesus has, has conquered Satan, the enemy of our souls, for us. Jesus loved us enough to give of himself. He conquered every, every enemy that can truly destroy us. Will he not also give us victory and help in our other times of need? Of course he will. Remembering that God is a victor helps us in those times when we're about to go into a situation where we don't know what's going on, we can't control it. The answer is we don't have to. Our faith guides us. Our, our certainty of God's goodness and his character. Now, this doesn't mean that we will have a life without trials. What it means is that in every situation, no matter what is going on, no matter the, the peril, no matter the threat, we can be absolutely sure that God is going to bring goodness into our life. That every situation, no matter the challenge, his commitment to us and his ability means that he will bring good and grace and love into our lives. We actually have no reason to fear. If we truly know who God is, we have no reason to fear. We can remind ourselves of that in the midst of our worry. So we've seen that God is good. He is the good creator. He's the good rescuer. He's the good victor. And all of this points to his everlasting love. Is the last thing we'll see. 
In fact, we've seen actually the goodness and the love of God go hand in hand because as we've read about the goodness of God, we've repeated the love of God at the end of each verse 26 times. Now, the word love in our text here is the word has said, which talks about the covenant love of God, the committed love of God. If you're reading the ESV, which we usually read, it says the steadfast love of God. This is reminding us that even though we falter in our faith, even though our commitment to God, it wanes, it, it, it fails, God's love never does. That God is committed to us in every moment of our lives. I think that's, I think that's why this is repeated in the psalm. I think the psalmist was doing this on purpose because repetition can be very powerful. You know, when you hear something repeated over and over and over again, a lot of times it sinks down deep into your, into your heart in a way that just hearing it once or twice, it doesn't work. In fact, I have another example of this. And I, look, I'm not sure how this happened. It, it just did. But this is another example of a Matt Damon movie. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I watch other movies, but you know, who doesn't love Matt Damon? So here it is. Um, this is actually from the very first uh, Matt Damon movie, Goodwill Hunting. If you remember that film, uh, it's about a young man who is very, very smart. He's from, uh, uh, where's he from? Boston. He's very smart. He's like a genius, but he's had a very rough past. His name is Will. That's why good Will. Um, and he's kind of, he's really struggling. He's like in his early 20s. He's with a bunch of guys from a very rough neighborhood. He's getting into a lot of fights, a lot of, you know, a lot of trouble. And yet he has this mind that is just this brilliant, brilliant mind. And so one of the arrangements with the courts when he's, you know, about to go to jail again is, look, if he gets some counseling, if he gets some help from a psychologist, psychiatrist, take care of things, then he won't have to go into jail. So he starts to get help, and because he's so smart, he just talks circles around all the doctors that they send him to until finally uh, they get Robin Williams, who is not really Robin Williams. He's a doctor, and he begins to, to meet with him and talk with him. And uh, at first, of course, it, it doesn't go well, but, but soon Will really begins to trust this guy, and they begin to work through some things. And, and there, there becomes a real a sense of connection for them, a real sense of stability. And Will, he really, he really you can see, just starts to kind of settle down and begin to understand more things about himself. Where there's this scene near the end of their time together. Their sessions, sessions are almost done. And Robin Williams' character, he's, he's got Will's file in his hand. And he opens it up and you can see some pictures there of bruising all over Will's body when he was younger. And uh, Will... Will says, yeah, that was, that was from my foster dad. That his character was, was beaten when he was young through the foster system. And they begin to dialogue about this. And you can tell that Will doesn't really want to talk about it. And he kind of tries to move on from the subject. Obviously, it's, it's, a, it's a painful thing. But the doctor, he closes the file and, and he holds it up and he says, look, he says, here's what I know. He says, well, I know that none of this in here is your fault. And Will says, yeah, I know. And the doctor puts down the file and he says, no, son, listen to me. It's not your fault. And he says, yeah, I know that. And he says, no. And he takes a step forward. He says, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. He begins to repeat this line. And you can see, Will, he begins to actually physically back up in the room because it's, it's so painful. He doesn't want to go there. But the doctor keeps pushing. He says, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. And there's a point where Will actually pushes him. He's, he says, don't do this. He, he doesn't want to go there. But he knows, the doctor knows he needs to go there. He needs to hear it. So he repeats it over and over and over again. It's not your fault. It's not your fault until Will just, he breaks down. 
sobbing. And they embrace, and you can just tell that there's so much pent up. Even though he said he knew that it wasn't his fault, he didn't believe it. He didn't believe it in his heart. And it was ruining and wrecking his life. Here's the thing. The love of God, we say we know it. I don't think we know it the way we need to. I think for the most part, it skates along the surface of our heart. Where if you're a Christian here today and someone asked you, do you know that God loves you? Our answer would be the same. Yeah, I know. But do we really know? The psalmist, the psalmist in love, in grace, inspired by the Spirit of God, has put it in here 26 times so that as we read it through, we would be hammered again and again by his love. His love endures forever. His love endures forever. Every moment of every day for all of eternity, the love of God endures for us. It will not stop. Nothing can take us away from it. Nothing will stop him from using every single thing in our lives to love us and reveal his love for us. There are things going on in your life you don't believe that God actually loves you. The word of God says different. The character of God says different. You know he loves you. You know how you know? Because he sent his son. He spared nothing for you. He gave everything for you. At any moment when you begin to doubt whether God is attentive to your needs, whether he actually knows what's going on, whether he's actually active, the gospel is like a clarion call telling you his love endures forever. He went to the cross. He gave his life so that there is nothing in this world that can tear you away from the love of God. What a beautiful thing it is for us to recognize, to bask in his love and his greatness. And that's in fact how, how we're going to end. There's three more verses. We're going to read it. And here's what I want you to do. I'd like you to stand up. We're going to sing and worship in a moment, so it's good we're standing. We're going to start in verse 23. In honor and recognition of the, of the love of God, allow this to sink into your heart and to your mind. I'm going to read verse 23. Respond as we have already. He remembered us in our lowest state and freed us from our enemies. He gives food to every creature. Give thanks to the God of heaven. Let me pray. Lord God, we thank you that your love does endure forever. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you spared nothing for us, that you gave your life, you endured pain and torture for us. Lord Jesus, may we never forget that. Help us, Lord. Help each one here who struggles in, in moments we all do. The things that are going on, difficulties, trials, circumstances, it just seems like you're not there. It's not true. You are there. Your love endures forever in our lives, in our world. I pray, please, that you would help us to know that and to live in light of that. For us to be at peace and settled and encouraged each and every day because we are so sure about your disposition towards us, your loving disposition. God, may our hearts be full and may that impact the people around us. May we truly find healing in the midst of your love and grace. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.